It's been a really special morning so far. We're going to jump into God's Word, Matthew chapter 16, and pick up in verse 21. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to find your way there. We're going to jump back into a portion of Matthew as well. Uh, If you don't, we're going to have the Scriptures on the screen. You can follow along. Uh, But this is a really, really special section of Scripture. I think so much it, it, it highlights really what we've already seen, uh, certainly through the baptism and through Jennifer's testimony of just how God has been moving in our life and the, and the change that's created when you come to know Christ, that, that shift that happens and that, that new foundation that you begin to live your life from, you're going to hear that again in this passage. And I think it's going to hopefully encourage us, but certainly challenge us this morning. So verse 21 of Matthew 16, it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? For the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father, And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So if you look at this passage, it it really is a continuation of so many things that Jesus has been saying. And and it helps us, right, know where we've been over the last week or two to understand this point of tension that Peter is bringing out and this really the conflict that he and he and Jesus have. So, so last week we've been looking through this, the earlier part of Matthew 16, which highlights the confession that Peter made that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus turns to the disciples and say, who do you say that I am? And Peter stands up either for himself or on behalf of all the disciples and says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And from that, Jesus makes this really wonderful uh, a proclamation of what's going to happen, that Jesus is going to build his church on people who express that kind of faith, that kind of Christ-centered faith. And that proclamation, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. So much so that the gates of hell or the gates of Hades will not be able to stop it. In other words, Jesus is going to do something so profound, something so uh, significant and so secure that even death cannot stop it. Death, which was a one-way street for The world is now death. The gates of death are going to open up where people that have died will actually come back to life. The church is going to be that significant, so much so that heaven and earth are going to touch, that the will of God that's happening in heaven is going to be expressed through the church that Jesus builds on earth. We're going to get to taste heaven now through the work of Jesus and his people. I mean, profound. I mean, you're like, it's inspiring. It's uplifting, like, The disciples are like, oh man, this is happening. Like Jesus really is the Messiah, the divine king who is going to set the world right. So we see that from last week. And then in verse 21 of this passage, it says, from that time. In other words, Jesus makes this 
really significant statement about who he is, confirming his identity, his authority, his supremacy, and then everything begins to change. Up to this point, it has been about Jesus' power, Jesus' authority. But it says, from that time on, Jesus began, which means he began to show the disciples something more that he hadn't shown them yet. He began to show them his mission to suffer. So Jesus, in this moment, is really totally revising the idea of how the world would be made right. They got it. They knew that Jesus was the king, but they had no reference point, no sense to understand what it meant for Jesus to talk about his death or the cross. So I I empathize with Peter here, right? I, I, I get this. Jesus shares that he's going to Jerusalem, that he, by the hands of the most esteemed religious leaders, that Jesus is going to suffer and die. So what does Peter do? Well, I, I think he feels like he needs to help Jesus out a little bit. Like Jesus has gotten very melancholy right after this grand moment of declaring his divinity, his, uh, his messiahship. So Peter takes him aside. Come, Jesus, come with me just for a minute. Let me, let me talk to you. And he begins to rebuke him. And he begins to say things like, Peter looked at him and said, may God have, God is merciful to you. Like the Lord help you. Like this isn't gonna happen to you. You're the Messiah. You're, you're the king, right? That's what he's saying here. What, what, it, what are you talking about, Jesus? I think Peter pulling Jesus aside to coach him up a little bit highlights this real tension that we all feel. And it's this tension that we have between power and weakness, sovereignty and suffering. Like that's what's being teased out. It sounds like this. Jesus, why would an all-powerful Messiah suffer? Why? Why would you do that? Why would you choose that? The Christ is coming to end all suffering. How are you going to end all suffering if you also die? That that doesn't make any sense. Of course, Peter forgot that little thing Jesus said about in three days he would be raised, but I would forget that too. I just heard Jesus say he's going to Jerusalem to die at the hands of the religious leaders. So Peter is reminding Jesus in this moment, you're here to win. You're not here to lose. You're, we're, not, we're not losing, right? You're the Messiah. This, this idea of winning and losing, I, we had an experience like that this past Friday night. My son's first high school football game of the season. Uh, hopes were set high. Uh, it did not turn out well for them. Uh, it was kind of insult and injury. They lost by a pretty significant number, and kids on the team also got hurt. Uh, the starting quarterback got injured. Uh, the backup quarterback probably out for the season. Like, it's not, it's not looking good. Like, I'm, I'm concerned, like, they're going to roll into Monday and be like, what, what are we even doing? Like, how do we even kind of field a team? So hold on to that thought, because what if, just let's play along for a moment. What if on Monday there's a new kid that shows up at school and the new kid is Patrick Mahomes. Now, Patrick Mahomes is a Super Bowl winning quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's a freak. He's amazing to watch. Like I'm a big fan of the Chiefs just to see him play. And Patrick Mahomes shows up. He's at practice on Monday and the kids are like, is he playing on the team? And everybody's like, he's on the team. And you can just see like they're getting excited through the week. They're all getting their hair kind of like faded in the back and they're, they're getting a perm and they're like, they're figuring out like, man, we are like something's happening here. And they roll out to next Friday's game. Patrick Mahomes huddles everybody up and he goes, guys, I am committed 
So much so, I promise you this, we will lose every game this season. <laughs> and like, what's going on here? This is what Peter's feeling. Peter is now hanging out with the Christ, the divine king who is going to set the world right that Israel has been waiting on for generations. Jesus has just said, I will build my church that even death won't stop it. And things happening in heaven are going to happen here on earth. He's just said that. And then he turns right around and says, oh, and I'm, I'm going to die. And Peter's like, I don't know what we're talking about here. How does this make any sense? I, why are we in this moment of power and majesty and prominence talking about suffering and death? Why are you talking about suffering? Why are you suffering? This, this tension, this is what Peter's feeling. It, the, the themes of this, the tones of this are seen in another place in Jesus' life. A similar conversation happens in Matthew chapter four. Let me go back here. Let me show you where this very same idea of why suffer shows up. Matthew chapter four, verse one. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Do you hear it? Do you hear the same idea, the same tension that's part of Peter's kind of expression as well as, well as what's happening here? When, when Jesus is pulled into the wilderness and Satan comes to him, Satan's asking the question, why are you suffering? You're hungry? Make some bread. You can do that. That is easy for you. Why are you hidden? Why, why are you obscure? Like, if you would go to the temple and throw yourself down, actually the angels would come and scoop you up before you hit the ground and everybody would know you are the Messiah, that you're the Christ. Why are you suffering? Why are you hidden? Right? You're great. You're powerful. So be great. Be powerful. And all of this can be yours right now. That's the temptation. And what does Jesus respond? And then he says, get behind me, Satan. What does he say to Peter? Oh, Satan, you, behind me, away. It's the same thing happening. It's the same expression. Suffering, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to us. Why? Why would you suffer? Why would you go without when you don't have to? Right? Let somebody else go through heartache and pain. I'm really looking to make my life easier. I'm looking often how to make my life better, more comfortable, yeah, less hassles, right? Like not more. 
So Peter hears Jesus talking about going to Jerusalem, that he's going to suffer and die. And Peter says, hey, I've got a better idea. How about you just go to Jerusalem and flex? How about you just show up and oust Rome? How about you dominate? Like, how about you just, you score? How about you win? Like, I don't, I don't understand why you're talking about dying while you're talking, you're inviting us into this either. Like, this is, Peter's, what Peter is saying is like, I've got a better idea or this. Hmm, if I were in charge, I would do it differently. If I were in charge, I would do this way differently. This thought of if I were in charge, it goes further back even to the earliest of temptations, right? It's Adam and Eve around the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And when Satan is there, you know what he says to them? He says, God knows that when you eat of the tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Oh, that sounds good. That's a life without limitations. That's a life where we can do whatever we want. That's a life where we're in control. If we're looking for a little bit of advantage over the rest of creation, why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't we get more, not less? Why would we choose to be like, this is what's happening. Peter's saying, I know I could figure out a way to do this without the difficulty, without the inconvenience, certainly without you suffering. Like how how does the Messiah dying achieve anything that we're here to experience? How does that make it better? Peter says, if I were in charge, I would establish the kingdom with power, with majesty, not shame, not rejection. I wouldn't do that, not with disaster or despair. No one would do that. Paul agrees. The apostle Paul says that the message of the cross is foolishness for those that are perishing. It just doesn't make sense. Why would the king... Why would the Messiah, why would the the image of the invisible God, why would God the Son who has, everything has been made through him and for him and he holds it all together, why would he suffer? Why, Why would he go to the cross? The idea is completely out of sync with the rest of the world and human reasoning. And Jesus seems to be saying to us, right, that that there's something going on here and he's inviting the disciples into what feels like a loss as well, right? Never before, never before this moment has Israel connected the idea that their Messiah would suffer. There are passages, Isaiah 53, 55, like these passages in the Old Testament, but they never connected those to the actual Messiah that he would suffer. But Jesus is saying something about how the kingdom is moving forward, how salvation is gonna be accomplished, that the work of God is not gonna come through the sword, but through suffering. It's not going to be power and force, but it's going to be through surrender and sacrifice. And then he invites the other disciples to join him. Look at this again, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus says, whoever wants to save his life, his life, right? Whoever wants to save his life. The word life is the word psyche. Uh, and it's, it's a word that embodies your sense of self, your personhood, 
your identity. The word psyche, it means your identity and selfhood. So Jesus is not calling everyone by taking up their cross to physically die. But what he's saying here is don't build your sense of self through gaining things in the world, that there's a different way to establish who you are, that if you gain your sense of self by things that are in the world, then you can actually gain a lot and lose what's most important, your soul. So Jesus is giving us insight that there's another way to establish your sense of self, your personhood. And your personhood is where you derive value. Your, your personhood is kind of what holds you together. What do you need to have to be okay? And every culture points to something. Every culture points to something that says you need this to have a sense of personhood or self. In traditional cultures, it's family. That you need to have an honorable family. That you need to have the legacy of children. Respectability. Right? That's, that's in traditional Eastern cultures. In the West, in more individualized culture, the way that we develop a sense of self is to derive that from achievements, from the value of having status or what we possess. And so it's, well, do you have a good job? Do you have a job? And is it a good job? Is it a job of influence? How much money does it make? How many things do you have? How, how well are you prepared for your retirement? Have you acquired? Have you achieved? Have you climbed the ladder? Have you given yourself to your vocation in a way that you can walk into a room and feel pretty good about yourself compared to everybody else? That you've done it, right? Jesus is saying that your identity and selfhood are, when they're connected to temporary things, right, that those things that you're acquiring within this world, if they're connected to this world, they're also going to disappear with this world, that this world is temporary. And so when we attach our things to those things that aren't going to last, then we find ourselves always with this shifting sense of identity and personhood and value. Jesus is offering us, when he says to take up your cross, a completely different way to be a self, to be a person. And this is what he begins to say. He says, Save your life, you'll lose it. But lose your life for me, and you'll actually save it. You'll find it. That your identity and selfhood connected to who Jesus is and what he's doing is something that actually gives you your soul. That what you were designed for, and this is the invitation, if anyone would come after me, we take up our cross Because Jesus is going to go to the cross and give his life so that you could have life. Jesus is going to go to the cross and be stripped of his identity so that you might be given one. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity highlights this very idea of what we receive with Jesus. He says, the more I resist him and try to live my own, live on my own, the more I become dominated by my heredity, upbringing, surroundings, and natural desires. It's when I turn to Christ, when I give myself up to his personality, that I finally begin to have a real personality all my own. This is, this is so good. This is why we talk about sharing faith and what evangelism is. It's actually when you share Jesus with somebody, you give that person themselves. Right? A, a better way to have a person value 
where, where they're deriving their sense of identity from. That's what we're giving one another when we experience Jesus. Jesus says, take up your cross. Your cross is not just this uncomfortable thing that you bear as a Christian walking through difficult circumstances in your life. Sometimes we talk about that. Oh, I'm really going through a lot right now, or this is just my cross to bear. It's not just walking through difficulties. What's happening is when Jesus invites us to take up our cross, he's inviting you and I to say farewell to the old you. To leave it behind. To say goodbye to the self-determination of our lives. To die to always having to be in control. To die to bringing our agendas always before God. Always looking out for some advantage. Thinking power and life without restriction is the best life. We die to that. That's what it means to take up your cross. And so we die to all those ways we used to think about value, about success, about worth about the ways that you used to think about yourself. And then we follow Christ and we are given a new set of values, a new set of identity of who we are now. Paul said it like this in Galatians 2.20, for I have been crucified with Christ. And he says, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And so the life I now live, I live in the body by faith in the one who died for me and loves me. So Paul saw this. There was something so powerful and representative about Christ's death on the cross that Paul's life could be so connected and tethered to that that when Jesus died, Paul also said, so did I. But I still live. But I live now differently in a new way with a new sense of self, a mission and a purpose that my life is now Christ's life in me. His love, his power, his grace in and through me. Completely different, completely new. And this is what Jesus is inviting the disciples into. It's to be new. It's not just to die, but it's to be new. Jesus is going to die at the end of his life. He's going to go to the cross at the end of his life and die. But what's fascinating is he actually invites the disciples to die up front. He says, take up your cross. Take up your cross right now. Die right now to that, to the old way, to the old sense of values. And he's saying something so important for us that we would abandon these attachments and agendas in the world and then actually live. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, said it this way. He says, thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our commitment to Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Years ago, I was preaching a message very similar to this. And a buddy, James, came up to me afterwards. And he goes like, I think the only, there's really only one major decision a Christian makes in their entire life. He says, it's the moment where we surrender and take up our cross. From that point on, every decision that the Christian makes after that is really just a fulfillment and a flowing out of that one decision. I'm like, man, that was so good. We die up front. And every decision we make from that point on is a life unto Christ with his worth, his identity, his value system, a new purpose in us. If what we're hoping for, right, is to be a true self, if it doesn't come through Jesus, then everything just stays the same. If, if Jesus isn't promising us something truly different and new, then everything still breaks Every hope evaporates. 
every relationship estranges. Freedoms, liberties, securities are just in the next set of hands of whoever's in power and who's ever in influence. Jesus is actually offering us something better, but if Jesus is saying what he's saying is true, then his commitment to the cross and our commitment to follow him, that same submission, that same surrendering begins to restore more. It restores more than you having the whole world. It restores your soul. It restores eternity. It restores a relationship between you and God. Peter doesn't understand, right? That that what he truly needs, what he truly longs for is something that Jesus is doing that's going to be accomplished through sacrifice. The reason is, is salvation is more than you and I missing hell. It's more than that, right? You don't need to just miss hell. You need to have heaven born in your heart. You need to have something that changes in you. Peter thinks he needs Jesus to go to Jerusalem to overthrow Rome. What he doesn't realize is he needs Jesus to go to the cross in Jerusalem to overthrow you and me, us. We need a new start. And the only thing that creates that new heart, that new beginning, that new sense of self, that new person is to trust in the work of what Christ is doing. What a fantastic thing that Jesus is actually going to show his power and show his glory through suffering. He even gives us a way to think about this. He tells this story, this illustration about a seed. He says, it's like this. The kingdom of God is like a seed and the seed must die. And when it does, it falls into the ground and it's buried. But after a while, that seed that has died produces a harvest. And what he begins to say is what looks like losing isn't. The the way that God is moving through sacrifice and surrender and submission is actually going to achieve a greater harvest, a greater production, a greater fruitfulness in our life. And Jesus is not just giving us, Jesus isn't just doing this, right, to show us his ability to deal with sin. Jesus is walking out this life of sacrifice and surrender to show us what our lives too do. How God is going to restore the world through this sacrifice, through cross-bearing, through a willingness to suffer, the moments where we are willing to walk away from what we think is better and easier and more comfortable and to follow Jesus is the way not only we're renewed, but creation itself. It's going to be amazing. And when you hold out these things, the sovereignty, the power, the majesty, the glory of God in all of it, and then you, it, you allow that to come alongside the suffering and sacrifice and service of the cross as those two things which seem very different and opposed to one another get closer and closer in your heart, you are changed. The gravity of God's sovereignty and power leveraging itself to be expressed in the cross and suffering for your sins changes us. Because who else would do that? Who else would create and hold the universe together and die on a cross for you, for me? So that we could be made new. So that we could be restored. As you saw a testimony this morning of a life change, I wonder if that work has happened in your own heart. Those two things that seem opposed, getting closer and closer to the sovereignty and power of God, coming closer and closer to his love and sacrifice for you. And if those two things touch, 
your heart changes. And you become a new person. And you don't see the world in the same way. You don't see yourself in the same way. Your values, your sense of identity, it all begins to shift into this beautiful thing that Jesus is doing. I just want to invite you into that. To take up your cross. To follow him and become new. Let's pray. As we pray, I want to use something just to guide our prayer that C.S. Lewis wrote. And he said this, he says, give up yourself and you'll find your real self. Lose your life and you'll save it. Submit to death of your ambitions and wishes and you'll find eternal life in Christ. Keep nothing back. Nothing in you that hasn't really died will be raised. Look out for yourself, and in the end, you find loneliness, hatred, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him, everything else is thrown in. So this morning, Father, help us to look for Christ. Help us to find him as he is presented to us that we could believe, that we could have faith, that just as Paul held out, that I have been crucified with him, that we could too see our lives so connected that we would trust and believe that Jesus died for me. And that when we look to him and we find him, somehow everything else is thrown in. Thank you, Jesus, that when we come to you, in all of what we give up, oh, we gain so much more. Whatever we think was sacrifice, whatever we think was something that we were holding on to that we can't do without, it just it evaporates compared to the riches and grace and reward of knowing Jesus. So thank you for giving us this opportunity to somehow present these lives that need change, these lives that need a future, these lives that are broken and sinful, and present them before you and receive your mercy and grace and to be changed and to be loved and to be kept by the cross because of what Jesus has done for us. So help us to celebrate that. Maybe there's even a sense of new praise and new worship that would flow out of that this morning as we realize all of what you could have done in your power and glory and then what you chose to do in sacrifice and service. We love you, Jesus. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.